This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. Well, I have to say this is probably one of the things that I've encountered over the past two weeks that I do not have to stay six feet away from. The microphone. (laughs) Uh, A brief reprieve of humor in an otherwise catastrophic time in our lives, eh, friends? Matthew here with another version of the Gratitude Journal podcast, right smack dab in the middle of the coronavirus debacle. I can't think of any other words to describe it because it seems like people all over social media and in the news have tried to figure out ways to describe and define what has become a very debilitating time in our lives. What do we do? How do we do it? In light of this pandemic, I can't even really wrap my head around the fact that we're using sentences with the word pandemic in it, but here we are. And my wonderful better half and myself have been doing mostly all that we can to conform to the new normal, staying inside, limiting our visits outside, only going out when we have to, or quite honestly, when we can't take it anymore, or at least I can't take it anymore. I just returned from a short walk around the neighborhood. And we're doing what we can do to try to flatten the curve. And now, if nothing else, this pandemic has introduced into our vernacular all kinds of new phraseology. So I have a sense that flattening the curve and social distancing will forever be locked in to our national and international vocabulary. Yes, it's a strange time and has been a strange time to reassess where we are, what we can do, and really what the new normal is. And amongst all of that, aside from not being in the hospital or getting a positive diagnosis, trying to find something to be grateful for during these days, which will undoubtedly stretch into weeks and could quite possibly stretch into months, this new normal that we are all confronted with. I had been feeling pretty, well, not, I should say somewhat under the weather towards the end of last week. And it was just really coincidental that I had an appointment with my new primary care physician, who is my old primary care physician. I had a insurance plan back in 2018, which prompted me to have to leave my then primary care physician. And so I started to go to Dr. Shanafelt, who was my new primary care physician. And then in 2019, I switched insurance plans again, and Dr. Shanafelt was not 
he did not participate in my new plan. So I went elsewhere and then I switched insurance plans again. And now Dr. Shanafelt does take this plan because the PCP before him does not take this plan. So have you got, got that all straight? Uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind of stuff. And I, I should also say that I have quite possibly the worst medical insurance policy in the history of civilization, certainly in the history of the advent of the coronavirus. And I knew that going into it because I met with my healthcare broker, as I usually do, um, towards the end of November and early December, whenever open enrollment happens with the ACA. And we started to go over these plans and the numbers she was reeling off were just pathetic. I mean, nothing matched. I didn't want to have a plan where I had to get a subsidy because I had to pay so much subsidy back this past year and it really affected me tax-wise. And so as we were rolling through these plans, I mean, we're reeling off things like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand $10,000 of uh, deductible and out-of-pocket costs, uh, just, you know, stupid monthly premiums with no uh, subsidy. And, but the worst part is just some of the charges. And so when I went to see my primary care physician, in light of this kind of dizziness that I had been feeling, but it was coincidental because had I had there been no coronavirus, I would have been going to see him anyway because I had to kind of reestablish. And so I got to the front desk and the person said, okay, that's going to be $60. I went, yeah, this is the wildest office copay I've ever paid. And she looked at me behind her mask and she said, it's the highest copay I've ever heard of. And later on during the day, I thought, well, I could have bested her had I remembered the fact that under this plan, if I go to see a specialist, my copay is actually double that. It's $120 to see. So that gives you some idea about this close to $9,000 deductible and out of pocket and uh, so when I watch the debates, I oftentimes think about the healthcare situation and my healthcare plan and think we could, we could do better. We have to do better. But right now, no one's really thinking about that. They're really thinking about the, the debacle that is the coronavirus and will it affect me? And if it does, how will it? And to what extent will it? And so I don't know whether it's inside me. I guess that's what we're all trying to figure out. Is this thing inside of me and will it erupt? And according to Dr. Shanafelt, uh, no, you don't really exhibit really any of the symptoms so far. I have a little bit of like a, you know, runny nose and that kind of thing. But I mean, that could be anything. It could be seasonal allergy, baloney or whatever. But Right now, it doesn't qualify as some of the major symptoms of coronavirus. So I will not be getting a mask. I will not be taking up a bed. I will not be going to the ER, mainly because I don't want to pay $120, but mostly because I don't exhibit the symptoms yet. And that's good. And I'm grateful for that. I'm going to be grateful for that. My wife uh, also is not, uh, is not exhibiting any of those symptoms. So I'm grateful for that, too. But I did lose my part-time job, and that is disappointing. And I knew that going into it when I felt it only inevitable that restaurants 
and bars would follow the same course of action that others had previous to their closings. And I remember remarking to the people even last weekend when I was working, saying to them, you know, really, it's only a matter of time. I mean, I'm looking around the dining room and I'm seeing eh, 20, 25 people. It's a Friday night. It's about half of the crowd that's normally there at five o'clock in the evening. Usually the parking lot is filled. And I said, you know, these are people who probably aren't really all that worried or don't really care or are the doubters. But, you know, really, I find it surprising that we haven't reached the point where we're going to be close. And really, not that I'm some soothsayer, but it was really only a matter of time, really a matter of days before the governor announced that these measures are going to be taken. So I came in on Sunday, uh, let's see, about five o'clock. And about an hour before that, the mandate had come down that restaurants and bars were closing at nine o'clock that night. I just happened to be scheduled till nine o'clock that night. And so that's when managers were walking around saying to me, listen, you know, the chances are good that you're going to get really limited hours because you work at the front of the house and the restaurant will turn into a carry out and delivery option only. And that pretty much puts hostesses and my title, a tapologist, it puts you guys really at the back of the line. I mean, they're going to take some of those full-time people who work in the front of the house and try to place them back in the kitchen in order to give them some hours. But I said, listen, I I understand. I'm a part-time front-of-house person. I'm pretty much resigned to the fact that I'm not going to get any hours. And that's, that's what I discovered this week in a text message is that We're not putting you on the schedule for this weekend. We're not putting you on the schedule for next weekend. And should this stretch even further than what we had anticipated, and it probably will, my uh, days as a topologist certainly seem numbered. I can't really find anything to be grateful (laughs) for because I like the extra change, uh, the extra lump of money being uh, deposited into the account uh, every couple of weeks so I could knock some knock some dollar signs off this surgery loan that I had to take out. And that won't happen. I'll have to readjust and I'll have to look for something else, which I've done this week in some of the downtime. I've spent some time on sites looking for work, at least the jobs that are available that don't require a ton of human contact. And something that you can do that's really in demand right now. So, I am a casualty, as are many others, a casualty of the coronavirus. So, in the morning, when I open up my newspaper and I pour my coffee and I sit down trying to figure out the best way to utilize the time in my day, I take stock of where I'm at. How do I feel? 
Did I cough overnight? Was there anything that might give me some indication that I might have this virus inside of me? And if I do, what does it mean? And will I give it to her? Or does she have it inside of her and will she give it to me? And I'm grateful in the morning when I don't feel those symptoms. And on NPR, when you hear all of the tragic stories that are occurring across the pond and some of the stories that are mounting here uh, in our own country. So I take stock of that and I assess how do I feel at the start of this day. And when I can convince myself that there's nothing wrong with me, at least then at 6.45 in the morning, then I feel gratitude. I do. I feel grateful. I also know that the chances are good that I may have to go out and that I'll have to take precautions. I also know that it's really time and the demand is great. It's really time for me to give blood. And I haven't prepared to give blood because I'm slightly anemic. I get rejected about 50% of the time because of low iron levels. And I have to prepare ahead of time. I have to eat some iron-heavy foods. I have to take an iron supplement, which I despise. I just absolutely hate it. Uh, I have, you know, I have irritable bowel things anyway, and iron just magnifies it. And when I spend that time preparing and really feeling uncomfortable for a week to 10 days, and then they tell me that my iron levels are still low and that I can't give, it, it pisses me off, to be quite honest. And so when they do that iron test, I just silently offer up a prayer to whatever deity exists that my numbers will be above the threshold and that I will be able to contribute. And giving blood is important to me. I spent so much of my time in a career where, quite honestly, I didn't really feel like I was offering anything to anybody. I was a radio disc jockey. I was a person who wrote and produced commercials that you hear on the radio. I mean, I would come home and, and Donna would say, well, what'd you do today? Oh, well, I co-hosted a wet t-shirt contest and gave away CDs. What'd you do? Oh, well, we stood around for seven and a half hours on a cardiac surgery. We saved this guy's life. And I thought, wow. I mean, wow. I'm doing nothing. I'm contributing zero. I'm just having fun most of the time. And she's saving life. And so several years ago, when it was suggested to me by her that you know, you have a special kind of blood. You're an O negative. They love O negative because, you know, it crosses so many different boundaries and can be used in so many different situations. And the first time I showed up at an American Red Cross blood drive and they found out I was O negative, they treated me like a rock star. And so ever since then, I've, I've tried to give when I can. So I know that in this time of crisis, I'm already thinking, I'm already nervous about having to drive over there 
and make sure that I don't touch anything and make sure that everyone's protected and to make sure I'm protected. And it's just a wacky time to be alive. And sometimes it's hard to find the spaces to be grateful. My siblings and I have another issue related to the coronavirus in that we're wondering to what extent do we have contact with our 91-year-old parents. And so over the past week, I've called instead of visited because I try to go down to visit them every week. And I said, you know, it's probably best that, that I not show up. And my dad said, why? And I said, well, because I don't want to give you anything. Well, do you have, do, what's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with me yet. Well, what do you worry about? And <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to make a case for it anyway, but it's hard to make a case sometimes to them. So we've been trying to limit our contact as much as possible. And that's tough to do. And so there's that concern. And I wouldn't be being completely honest if I wasn't concerned about the financial ramifications of this. As is everybody. I make it sort of a Oh, a part of my weekly schedule of things to do to check in with the very bare minimum 401k that I have through my former employer. And quite honestly, it's, it's just been devastating this week to look at that and to hear about the Wall Street travesty, and then to actually look at how it affects you. And to see a loss of almost $12,000 in the span of four days. And not really understanding how money works, trying to talk to people, waiting on the phone for an hour to talk to somebody because everybody else has the same concerns. I remember the line from the movie Titanic where Leonardo DiCaprio says, you can't lose anything if you don't have anything to lose. Sometimes I wonder if that's the best thing. <laughs> You're just making it and you... They're not in the position to always worry about losing what you have. You'll never experience that if you don't really have anything. But the reality is that we need those things to survive. We need to have a few bucks when we can no longer work. And the only one that we can blame for stealing it is the coronavirus. And we can't go kick its ass or sue it or call up and file a complaint with our congressperson. It is what it is. And we're all going to suffer on these various levels that in many ways are beyond our control. 
And amidst all of the coronavirus scare, Donna had some tests last week, and the surgeon who conducted the tests didn't really like some of the results that he found. So, if you've ever had a test done and they have to send it out to get results, and you can, if it's not just facial expression, you can just tell that there's things probably that that doctor wants to say, but they can't really say it. But you know that there are areas of concern. And I know sometimes she may not even remember that we're waiting for those results. And I really don't want to bring it up. But I know I am. And tomorrow will be a week. So we'll be close to getting the results of what that biopsy showed. So there's just a tremor of anxiety really under every nook and cranny. Or at least so it seems. And people have a lot of time to stay online and post things online. And the people who are devoutly religious have wasted no time and spared no energy in posting their memes and their prayer chains and reminding everybody that God is great. And this sometimes is very little solace. All I know is that the waiting game gets played and we're left to deal with whatever fallout occurs. And I don't even know if we're supposed to go outside. I think that we're inundated with truckloads of information about what this is and what it could do. And while we're searching for concrete answers, we're also searching for any glimmer of hope so that we can construct the narrative that best suits our anxiety level. If somebody cites a report that says there's no new cases in China, well, that means three weeks from now there will be no new cases in the U.S. And we know that that's patently false. But we we take that information and we mold it into a kind of a mental narrative so that we can kind of feel better. I know I do it. And I wonder the people who are posting the memes, are they doing that to make themselves feel better? I know that they're posting it to try to make me feel better, so I'll read it. And it just makes me think to myself, you know what? I just don't know. All I know is that for the most part, we're cooped up in the house. I'm out of a job. We're ascertaining our level of food so that we can limit our visits to the supermarket. I'm constantly reassessing 
the contents inside my refrigerator to make sure I have enough beverages to go around. And we're trying to have some semblance of order. And for myself, trying to figure out over the course of these next weeks, what can I, what can I accomplish with that time? This time is really unprecedented, and maybe we should be grateful for it. The time to do something, the time to deep clean, the time to do more writing, the time to reassess and reorganize stuff, the time to fire off letters that you may not have written before, the time to take an online course that you may not have done before. There's time, if nothing else, for some of us, fear, anxiety, and time. Those things. And amongst those things, it's difficult to find things to be grateful for, aside from not having the freaking virus, at least that you know of. And as I said, I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to go outside or whether I'm allowed to go outside, but I've given myself that freedom. Because during the day, I have a tendency after lunch to go for a five or ten minute stroll just to walk off my lunch and clear my head. Donna likes to go with me sometimes, and to be quite honest, I've never addressed it with her. If she listens to this, she'll probably know. I really prefer to do it by myself. It's really a time to rest my voice. It's really a time to just think and kind of reflect and reassess, a kind of walking meditation, if you will. And I don't even like to take the doggy out. I, I like to be by myself and just have that time to clear my head. So yesterday, I was feeling particularly anxiety-filled. You know, the 401k dropped another $3,500. I felt powerless about it. Still waiting for these results from Donna. Nothing. Trying to figure out the fact that I lost two more clients over this past week. Not because of the virus. But knowing that inevitably all of these clients will eventually go away. And trying to respond to that in some way, shape, or form. Trying to get out ahead of it. And one of those clients, by the way, a client for 13 years, and they never really even said that they weren't going to use me anymore. I found out through a third party. <laughs> so that's what it's come to. That's what it's come to. A 13-year relationship down the tubes, not even via a text message or an email, just nothing. Just all of a sudden think to myself, you know, I haven't done anything for them for a while. I wonder what's going on. I think I'll tune into the station. I do some voice work for them. And I thought, I'll tune into the station and listen. And sure enough, there was another voice there. It wasn't me. So I, re I suddenly realized that, well, yeah, my suspicions were true. They were using somebody else, but never really even bothered to say anything. So... It just seemed like the anxiety levels were high. And I 
could really use the walk. It was cold. It was kind of chilly, not snowy, but chilly. I walked up the street that I normally walk up, and I looked ahead of me, and these kids were outside playing basketball. They had a hoop in their driveway. And of course, there aren't any schools in session, so kids need things to do. And they were outside playing. So I immediately thought, I'm going to cross the street because I want to keep my six-foot distance. And as I walked closer to them, I, I looked over to them, and there was a sort of a, a larger boy and then another smaller boy and a small girl. And the small girl said something to me, and I didn't hear what she said. And I kind of didn't stop dead in my tracks, but I slowed down and I looked and I said, I'm sorry. And they all looked at each other and all three of them together said to me in unison, are you having a good day? (laughs) And I was almost speechless. Like I didn't know what to say to that. After this week of just losing a job and losing money and losing clients and waiting for anxiety-filled results, I didn't know what to say. But they stood there waiting for my response. Like, They really cared what I had to say. Like they wanted to know whether I was really having a good day or not. (laughs) And it's like this momentary small wave of calm kind of came over me. And I was just so touched that they would say that to me. And wait for a response. I mean, I'm chuckling just thinking about it. And I said, as I continue to walk, I said, yeah, yeah, I'm having a good day. And then they turned around to their basketball and they continued to shoot their hoops. And So aside from having the space and the time, and I guess to a certain extent, having the courage to walk outside as I'm still not certain that I'm allowed to walk outside because is this airborne? We're not sure. I was really grateful for their question. I was grateful to have those kids ask me that. It was completely unexpected, and it was completely appreciated. I mentioned before that hopefully I'll churn out some small website affiliated with uh, the Gratitude Journal podcast. But until then, of course, you have friends or you have acquaintances or family and certainly those who are looking for something to do 
while cooped up inside their domicile, please tell them that the podcast is available on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it these days. And it's also available on the iHeart platform, and it's also available on Spotify. And if there are some other major platform that I'm missing, I guess I'll dig in and investigate that between logging on to my 401k and watching the numbers drop. (laughs) So here's hoping that wherever you are, wherever you're listening, that you're healthy and that you're taking precautions and that hopefully we'll all emerge from this sooner rather than later and we can claim victory over the coronavirus. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast.